I'm John Hinderocker, joined today by Katrin Wigfall, Education Policy Fellow at American Experiment. Katrin, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, so uh, Minnesota public school uh, test scores came out on Thursday, and that's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, what tests are these? I know there's state tests, there's national tests. What is it that's just come out? So this is statewide assessment data that the Department of Education released on Thursday. These tests were administered during the spring, so spring 2023 assessments. And the most well-known test is the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessment, referred to as the MCA. That tests students in grades 3 through 8 and 10th grade on reading and grades 3 through 8 and 11th grade on math. And then there's also an alternative assessment given to students with significant cognitive disabilities. So those assessment results were released along with a test that's given to English learners and the results were bad. Okay. All right. So these are the state tests and and you just said the results are bad. Say, t- Talk some more about that. How did Minnesota's kids uh, do in this most recent round of testing? It's, it's pretty hard to believe that we now have a majority of Minnesota students who cannot read or do math at grade level. They are not meeting the basic reading and math standards which these statewide assessments measure. So this is kind of a milestone, right? Is this the first time when most Minnesota students, K through 12, can neither read nor do math at grade level? To my understanding, yes. We have seen this uh, subpar performance in math, um, but reading now declining again has taken the majority of Minnesota students below that that 50% threshold who could read to now over 50% can't. So basically the message is that Minnesota's public schools are terrible. It's not just the inner city schools. You know, it's not just a minority not keeping up. Uh, The fact is that pretty much across the board, uh, Minnesota's public schools are not performing. There's shortcomings. There's clear shortcomings. And we have seen this even pre-COVID, pre-school closures. Obviously, those school closures exacerbated learning loss and that sort of thing. I talk about that in a report that I've put out. But we've seen this trend of declining scores, stagnant scores pre-COVID, and it's it's very concerning for the future of the state. Now, you put together a chart in a report that you did, I think it was two summers ago, and you have updated it as new data have uh, have become available. Let's just see that chart because I think it tells really the whole story uh, in one in one picture. And uh, and what your chart does is to show um, per pupil spending. That's the line that keeps going up and up, right? <laughs> Yes, that that goes up. It's uh, I show it adjusted for inflation because Minnesota spends a lot on education. We invest heavily in education, and unfortunately, we're not seeing a return on investment. Students are leaving the classroom without basic literacy and numeracy skills, and this chart shows that. But what it also shows is that even as we spend more and more on education, outcomes are stagnant or even in decline. So here on the chart, I overlay academic outcomes and per-pupil spending. And you can clearly see going back several years that per-pupil spending is going up while academic outcomes are going down or they're stagnant. So looking at the chart, we see three lines. The one that keeps going up is per-pupil spending that's adjusted for inflation. 
and it continues to increase and is slated to keep increasing in the years to come. Yes, we uh, continue to make new budgets for education, new historic budgets and, and spending. And so that budget, this past legislative session, is set to be over $20 billion over the next two years with uh, $2.26 billion or so in new spending. And so that is really key, is there are billions more being put in. Yeah, so we're spending an enormous amount of money. Now, the two lines that are going down instead of up, what are those two lines? So the black line is reading proficiency. And again, that measures can students read at grade level? Can they meet those basic reading standards? And is that line blended for all of the grades that get that reading test? Yes. And then the line on the bottom, is that math proficiency? The blue line is math proficiency. And that likewise is blended for all of the grades where math proficiency is tested, right? Correct. And so what that chart shows, honestly, Katrin, you know, it's simple, but it's a great piece of work because what that chart shows is in Minnesota, per pupil spending adjusted for inflation has been going up, up, and away while results, performance, has been going down in both reading and math. Is that fair? That is fair. And you'll see a slight uptick in math results this year compared to last year. Uh, we know that math is easier to teach in person. And so math took a hit during school closures because students couldn't get that one-on-one -on -one help. But what's even more concerning to me is the continuous decline in reading. You can't do a math problem if you can't read it. And so we really need to focus on why students can't read at grade level and make some changes. This chart well, shows that's obvious. Well, as you say, there's a slight uptick in math scores, but the math <laughs> scores remain far below, far below what they were, say, 10 years ago. Absolutely. You still have nearly 55% of Minnesota K-12 students who can't do math at grade level. And one of the statistics you came out with, this chart is blended over the grades where, where these reading and math tests are administered. But the last time we test math proficiency is the 11th grade, junior year of high school, right? And most recently, 64% of kids in Minnesota can't do math at grade level in the 11th grade. So 64% of 11th graders can't do math at grade level, right? Correct. So these kids are all going to graduate, right? They're 11th graders. I mean, virtually every one of them is going to walk across the the uh, the stage and get a diploma, and 64% of them can't do math at grade level. That's a good point to make because, as you mentioned, Minnesota's graduation rates are well over 80%, and they continue to go up, and we celebrate that. It's an important milestone. It, 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 it's noteworthy to celebrate, well, but I don't not celebrate when it. they can't do math or reading at grade level. That is doing a disservice to students who we expect to go out, join the workforce, contribute to Minnesota's economy, and be well-informed and uh, engaged citizens and members of well, society. And, and be able to compete. I mean, how are these kids hmm. going to be able to compete in a global economy if they can barely read and they can't do math. I mean, this is a this is a generational tragedy that we are seeing unfold here in Minnesota. And Minnesota state test scores only capture part of that tragedy. We see Minnesota student performance on national assessments for fourth and eighth graders in reading and math being at record lows dating back 30 years ago. So it's not just our state tests that students aren't performing well on, it's national assessments as well. 
So, so uh, this chart uh, that we're seeing here, I, I think, just really, really tells the story. You know, obviously, spending more money is not the solution to the to the problem of of poor performance by our public school students. So, so we tweeted this out um, uh, on Thursday after you wrote about it at AmericanExperiment.org. We tweeted out a link to your post and 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 this chart. And, and some people, some teachers union people and the like, came in and tried to make excuses on Twitter. Let's just talk about, what, 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 let's, let's talk about some of the excuses that they tried to make for this poor performance. Well, the excuses continue to be the same, despite more money. So obviously, the, the biggest excuse is, oh, well, we just need to fully fund education. I still have yet to be told a number. What yeah. is that is anybody, dollar amount? We, we hear this <laughs> phrase, you know, fully fund. Has anybody ever explained what that means? You know, how many dollars are they looking for? I, d- I don't know. More. <laughs> well, in any, in any, always more. Yeah, right. Always more. <laughs> always more. In any event, th- th- this chart conclusively shows more money is not the solution to the problem. We've tried that, right? That's what we, we've conducted a laboratory experiment, and we have conclusively proved that more money is not the key to better performance. So what else? What other excuses are being made out there? Well, there is the there is the excuse that, oh, well, all students were impacted by COVID, school closures, learning losses across the country. Okay, well, what does that mean for Minnesota students? That's, that's not an excuse to not help students try to recover and gain some ground. We're seeing now three years following uh, school closures of decline. And it's also worth noting that in schools that were in person longer during school closures, not only did they have less learning loss, but they're also recovering faster. I love to compare Minnesota to Mississippi because who wants to be compared to Mississippi? But there was an analysis done by an economist at Brown University, Emily Oster, who showed that Mississippi and Minnesota both experienced declines in scores as multiple states across excuse me, across the country. But what's interesting is that Mississippi's uh, students are actually recovering faster from learning loss than Minnesota's. And Mississippi students spent more time in person in class than Minnesota students. You know, the other thing I think this chart shows, there's no question that the COVID shutdowns hurt our kids badly. I mean, you you wrote about that. You did a whole paper on it. I mean, you know, no, no one questions that, which goes back to what's the accountability for the government, go- government officials who m- chose that terrible terrible course of action. But if you look at the chart, it didn't start with COVID. We already had the problem that we were spending more and more money and our scores were either stagnant or declining. That was true before COVID. COVID accentuated a trend that was already there. And the other thing, Katrin, is look, I mean, the kids were in school all this last year, right? And so, you know, how long are they going to keep blaming the COVID shutdown? I mean, you, you again, look at the chart. And, and in 2023, reading scores actually declined after a full year in, in class. So how do you blame that on COVID? Math scores ticked up just very, very slightly, but still far below where they were just five or 10 years ago. So obviously, there's a lot more going on here than those, those improvident COVID shutdowns. What else? Do we see any any other excuses cropping up on Twitter? Well, we see the excuse, oh, what about opt-outs? So students just opt out of taking state assessments, so that skews how many students are actually performing at grade level. Well, if you In other words, not everybody takes this test. Right. Yes. So students can opt out of this statewide assessment, and students do. 
but the percentage is not significant enough to change the narrative and to change the fact that our public school system has clear shortcomings. So I, well, it's not the good students that are going to opt out <laughs> either. I mean, if 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 that two or three percent uh, that opt out were getting tested, these numbers would look even worse, right? I mean, it's not it's not the top students who are saying, "Oh, I'm not going to take the test." I mean, that's a silly excuse. It's a silly excuse, and so you know, standardized tests they they are not the only way to measure success. When I taught, we did standardized assessments, but you also do in classroom assessments, school assessments, that sort of thing. But what it shows is that Minnesota students are being left behind. Yeah, and look, of course, there are other dimensions to learning. We all understand that. But the truth is, if you can't read, you know, I, there, what other dimension is there, right? I mean, the idea that half of Minnesota kids cannot read it, more than half, cannot read at grade level, which is, which is no high bar to get over, frankly, uh, that's just a stunning reality. So I guess the last, the last thing, Katrin, is what are we going to do about it? Okay, you have conclusively shown that our public schools are failing, that they're getting worse, not better, that's, that throwing money at them has not helped the problem at all. Maybe it made it worse. I don't know. What are we going to do? Well, we need new reforms outside of those that have been tried ad nauseum, the throwing more money at it. It's clear that more dollars aren't getting to the students who need them to actually help them grow in Well, or, or they're not doing them any good anyway. And a lot of it's going to administration and waste of various kinds. We all correct. know Correct, yes. And all of the non-instructional mandates now that are put on educators and school leaders. So I think it's important for parents to have options to get their child in a learning environment that will help them grow academically and become a successful and engaged member of society. And that comes to expanding educational freedom. School choice has to be part of the conversation in Minnesota outside of public schools, charter schools, private schools. Those are all school choice, but who can access them? And there are financial barriers in place in Minnesota that prevent all families from having the opportunity to access those options. A good education should not just be for those who can afford it. So in our most recent polling, uh, we found that 74% of Minnesotans are in favor of real school choice. So including 61% of respondents who identify as Democrat. Yeah. And so this is something that's going to happen. we got to have school choice. What else, though? That's not that's not the whole solution. What else? Well, I think there needs to be accountability, more accountability on our teacher prep programs. We know how to teach reading. We know that the science of reading includes strategies focused on phonics and phonemic awareness. And we need to put more accountability on our teacher prep providers to make sure that they're equipping teachers with the skills they need in order to effectively teach reading in the classroom. The legislature did overhaul reading literacy in the state through the READ Act this past session. I'm hopeful that will help, but we need more accountability on the teacher prep providers. And if they're not preparing teachers effectively, then they shouldn't be in that business. No, the fact is that, that a lot of this teacher prep, a lot of the culture surrounding uh, education that comes from the teachers' union, comes from the teachers' colleges. It's very left-wing. It's all about critical race theory. It's all about wokeness. It's all about, you know, gender confusion. I mean, part of the answer is we got to forget about that nonsense and get back to teaching our kids how to read and write and do mathematics. 
Absolutely. There's only so many hours in the day. I know this from teaching. You have to cram a lot into the classroom day. And so we need to make sure that we're focusing on skills that will prepare students and help set them up for success. And it's clear we can do a better job of that. And, and so and the other thing, Catherine, seems to me is, is who's in charge here? Right. And we've pulled this a little bit. You know, liberals say parents should stay out of the schools and let the teachers and the administrators run the schools. Parents go away. Conservatives say, are you kidding me? They're our kids. You know, the parents are ultimately responsible for the schools. And one of the things that we're seeing in Minnesota that's positive is a real movement on the part of parents to get involved in their children's education and to take responsibility for the public schools. Absolutely. I I always say if there's a silver lining to COVID, it's that it showed parents what their kids are and aren't learning in classrooms. And it has really awakened them so that they get more involved in their child's education. And given what they have discovered, I don't think parents will ever go back to sleep. (laughs) We're seeing that in school board elections around the uh, state. We're seeing it in parents showing up at school board meetings around the state and, and in various ways. Uh, taking a greater interest, which uh, obviously is necessary because left to their own devices, the public schools have been failing the children of Minnesota. Katrin, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and I'm sure we'll be getting back to you again before long. Thanks, John.